It's apparently time to hear from an educated melanin queen, wife, and boy mom, keeping it real about the joys and struggles of parenthood. Discover how to stay true to you while navigating your romantic relationships, work life, friendships, the single life, and parenthood. Although you may gain some useful tips while listening to this podcast, please remember that this does not replace the support you'd receive from sessions with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, what's up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of It's Apparently Time podcast, where I, your host, Hazel, will be keeping it real. For those of you listening for the first time, I just want to say welcome, and I hope that whatever stage you're in in your life, whether dating, single, married, pregnant, or just trying to be the best you, that you'll enjoy today's episode and decide to come back for more. Now to my regular listeners, thank you so much for your support. Please be sure to continue to share, subscribe, like, and leave your positive reviews. And if there's a topic you would like for me to discuss, you can send it to me on Instagram at It's Apparently Time. And that's I-T-S-A-P-A-R-E-N-T-L-Y-T-I-M-E. Lastly, for those of you who would like to make a donation towards the production and advancement of this podcast, go ahead and click the link that says support and know that your contribution is greatly appreciated. All right, so let's jump right into our conversation for today. Healing from toxic relationships. What does that look like? What's the first step? Is it a linear process? What is your understanding of forgive and forget? Can I forgive and still not forget? Or am I expected to forget if I've forgiven? How do I know if the relationship or situationship, whatever you want to call it, that you're in is toxic? Whether it's with a friend, parent, significant other, or spouse. I feel like these are some very real questions that I've thought about for myself as I work towards becoming a better me. And I'm certain that you all have asked yourselves these questions as well. So to help me with this discussion for today, I have a high school friend of mine on, Pastor Miguel Sarant. Hey, everyone. My name is Pastor Miguel Sarant. I am excited to be here, originally from Brooklyn, New York, where I met our lovely host when we went to college together, uh, Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama. And currently, I am pastoring in the Annapolis, Maryland area. I pastor a small church called Beacon Light Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm just excited to be here, honestly. Awesome. I'm happy to have you, too. I was like, when I thought about this conversation about healing and forgiveness, I was like, I definitely have to have a pastor on. (laughs) And I know that you would help me stay true to what I'm trying to do on here, which is keep it real. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be thought of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So our first question um, that we have is, what makes a relationship toxic? Do you feel like it's the person or have you both created this toxic relationship together? This is a great question. I, I think as it relates to, um, you know, of course, relationship dynamics in terms of like dating, um, not not family or anything like that, because that's its own level of conversation about toxicity. <laughs> um, but as it relates to dating, 
Um, I, I think it's a combination of all the above. I think we all carry some, let's not use the word toxic per se, because people might be sensitive with that one. But we all have idiosyncrasies. We have bad habits that we've developed. Um, we have also things that are normal in our family that are abnormal in someone else's. And so when you're dating, all those things kind of come up. And depending on your style of communication, it can become problematic because you're not, you're, you're like someone's simple behavior that's normal in their family can become like, I guess uh, I'm gonna have to use the word. It, it can become toxic or, or just a negative experience for you. And mm -hmm. so because it's so vastly different from what you're used to, you see it as this person may be intentionally doing this for your harm, not realizing that they have good intents behind this, um, mm -hmm. or they may not even notice that it's there. So you're in a relationship and they have some weird, quirky things, and that can create a toxic environment depending on how you communicate, how it's affecting you, and then how that other person responds to your communication. Another thing is, so that's unintentional and toxicity, if you will, that's, mm -hmm. you know, just people being people and there's a toxic environment. Another thing could be you have you clearly know that you're doing something wrong and you have not sought the necessary help to correct that behavior. Um, you, you know, for a lot, we've heard this from time to time, people will say something like, well, this is just the way I am. Take it or leave it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> when, yeah. When I hear that, that sounds like you're co-signing on your toxicity. You're right. doubling down on that. And and that can create in its own a toxic environment. Now, do you need both people to have a toxic relationship? I would say from in the beginning, no. But the longer you stay in a toxic relationship, the more you're exposed to it, you end up becoming more toxic as time goes on. Yeah, I definitely hear that. I feel like you begin to enable this toxic relationship that you're now in. So like you talked about, like in the beginning, you see it and you're like, all right, we need to address this. But at some point, you have to make that switch to be like, all right, this is not okay for me. I need to do something about it. And if you choose to stay, then, I mean, you're a part of the problem as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you kind of, you mentioned this early, and this brings me to question number two. Is there such a thing as a toxic person? I want to say no. The pastor in me... <laughs> <laughs> I want to say no, because I, I always believe in the best of people. Not always. I, I try to believe in the best of people. Mm -hmm. But my own life experiences have told me that there are people who are aware of their toxic behavior and simply do not care because in some spaces, being toxic is a reward. It brings you the thing that you desire. You know, mm -hmm. um, so let's talk within the confines of a relationship, you know, being a cheater brings you a reward. Granted, you don't care as much as you think you do about the feelings that you hurt because you're concerned about consuming. Mm -hmm. I want to be with as many people regardless of the rules or regardless of how they feel. Mm -hmm. 
So that might be a toxic trait or a liar or a thief or a manipulator. You know, you may know, you know, this, this is not good, but you might justify it, whether it's situationally or just generally why these things are necessary or people who, um, who take pleasure in destroying people, talking down or being misogynistic or, you know, whatever the case may be. They, a lot of times people recognize their traits. It's just that they justified it. So yes, there is such a thing as a toxic person. Now, when it comes to toxicity, you also got to recognize that what may be toxic for you might be, might be tolerable for me. And, and the example that I would use, and I'm not saying that one person is, when I explain the situation, you know, don't take sides. I'm not trying to dehumanize anybody, but you know, I, I had a dog when I was younger, when I, you know, in high school, I had, a, I had a dog, loved a dog, but there were some things that I could eat that my dog couldn't. And there were some things that my dog ate that I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was based on the nourishment of both people. Like we loved each other. We were, you know, dog owner and we, we, we had a, our own little language and, and lingo and, you know, we know how to coexist and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I couldn't feed him the things that helped me grow. Mm-hmm. And I probably shouldn't eat the things that he eats that will help nourish and provide nourishment for him. And so uh, I think it's it's recognizing that uh, some people can handle certain toxic traits better than others. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, not to create a blanket thing, but like there are some people that they... This, this pairing works better than if I were to. So I, I know there's some traits that I can't hang with. I I get really uncomfortable and I, I get out of character when I'm around certain toxic traits. So I know I can't handle that. So I, I, I exit stage left when I see those things <laughs> pop up. Yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with you where like what you identify as toxic, it, it's relative. And I know one thing like we talked about in uh, graduate school, and this really helped to challenge my perspective on how we, how we label people. So like, whether you're toxic or whether you're a cheater, or if you're a liar, whatever it may be, or one of the things that we talked about, especially when we focus on like substance use, is the alcoholic and we think about like when we label people that way the uh, type of defeat that we're already kind of pronouncing over their life by labeling them that way they feel like well i'm an alcoholic this is this is who i am i'm nothing else and oftentimes they lose themselves in that new identity that they've given you know to themselves i am so and so the alcoholic versus i am so and so who struggles with alcohol use and I think it's kind of mm. the same thing with when you think about a toxic person, like, I think the, the, like you said, like the hazel side of me, the real side of me would be like, yeah, you're toxic. But <laughs> when I try to put on my therapist lens, yeah, more so of this is so-and-so, the person who struggles with these, you know, toxic behaviors. And that yeah. way they feel like they have more power to kind of work with someone to overcome something that's outside of them versus feeling mm. like, well, this is me. How am I going to go about changing the core of who I am? Ooh, that's good. That, yeah. That's good. That's good. So I, I think for, for a lot of us, um, we struggle with certain traits and, and we talk about toxicity within the realm of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have like, maybe we have toxic 
or let's say non-performing habits, like, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in the financial world uh, or in real estate, you know, I'm building out a real estate company, uh, real estate investing company as we speak, will have non-performing assets, right? These are mm-hmm. things that exist. Uh, you might be able to get money from it from time to time, but, but your expenses um, are above your profit and, or they, they cancel each other out. Mm-hmm. So we we ha- might have non-performing habits, and what ends up happening, and this is an area where I'm trying to grow out of, is I have attached it to my identity. So I say I make statements like I am a procrastinator, and now I'm having to fight. And I went to counseling last year about this mm-hmm. fight to redeem like who I am outside of my non-performing habits. Right, right. And yeah. hearing you say that was just like, oh, this is what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's where the real work comes in. Like, I know, like when I work with couples or like even individuals, it, it, they come in with the idea of fix me, something's wrong with me. But when you kind of talk to them and you say, well, no, this isn't something that's wrong with you. This is something that you struggle with. And let's work mm. together to figure out how we can do things differently so that this is no longer a struggle of yours, they start to feel more empowered when they recognize that the problem is not who they are. They're able to kind of take it outside of themselves. Ooh. It's, okay. it's challenging, okay. but it's yeah. definitely so rewarding once you're able to kind of get to that place and you recognize like, oh, okay, I'm not the, I'm not Hazel the alcoholic or Hazel the, whatever else you want to, I'm not really an alcoholic. But I'm just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that, uh, you know, kind of brings me to like question number three, when we think about like getting into relationships and mm-hmm. we, we kind of learn the things that we like and the things that we don't like, the things that sit right with us and the things that we're like, nah, I'm, I'm all good. What's the idea of forgiveness? Like, how do you move from one relationship into the other, but first kind of going through that process of healing the hurt or forgiving the hurt that the other person might have caused you? Yeah. So I didn't realize. Okay. So here's how I've kind of worked through things. When I, I've i struggled in, in times past in, you know, horrible relationships, that the aftermath I realized that I lingered a little bit too long with these bad emotions. Mm-hmm. And so what I've developed, and I, I don't know if it's a complete process per se, or if it's healthy or whatever the case may be. So I'm glad that we're having this conversation. So you can audit my process, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of the things that I try to do after I've had you know, a, a negative experience in a relationship, and not necessarily a dating relationship. It could be, you know, friends, it could be family, whatever the case may be. I try to sort through my feelings. I try to do an audit of my feelings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel this way? What What is triggering this? Is it my ego speaking? Especially as a man, I filter anger through my ego. So if you, if you bruise my ego, I am angry mm-hmm. uh, because I don't have... Well, I struggle to say I am hurt, you know, mm. or this this embarrassed me because all those things end up becoming anger. 
Mm -hmm. Um, so I filter through and I try to figure out, man, was I embarrassed? Did I, did I feel belittled in this situation? So I try to sort through those things to figure out what's that core emotion. And then I, I, then I start dealing with what actually happened. So what about this experience was wrong? Where was there some nugget of truth that this person was saying, no matter how it was packaged that I can, I can work on or say, okay, if I apply this, I can be a better person. Then I start dealing with, okay, what's going on with homeboy or homegirl? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, what's, what's, what's really, what's up? You know, so, and it depends on the situation. Like if I, look, I've been cheated on before, right? And I've mm-hmm. had, you know, I've had these moments. I am not trying to justify why this person cheated on me. Right. And I'm not sticking around for your excuses. That's just me personally. And, and, and of course, I'm married now, so that process will be different because, you know, infidelity, in my opinion, infidelity in marriage is a little is far different to me than, you know, being unfaithful in a, in a dating relationship where in a dating relationship, you can just say, yo, I'm out or, I'm, you know, I'm not interested in you anymore and I could just dip. But in marriage, there's like there's layers to this. There's a whole divorce process that you got to think about. And then, you know, we've been living with each other and there there might be something that I might have missed as a man that I might not have been feeding. And she had a moment of, of vulnerability. And so there's a lot more that I'm thinking through from a marital perspective. But if I'm just dating and someone's cheating, I'm going to take the freedom that the other person should have taken and just leave. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not sticking around. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my process of forgiving begins with me sorting through my emotions, me figuring out what's the core of the issue. And then um, the process of like, okay, what can I learn? What can I grow? And was this a character flaw from this person or was this like a moment in time that that they have a lapse of judgment or something like that mm-hmm. and i can you know i can forgive them but I, i'm not sure what that next step could be right right well therapist hat on so i definitely want to commend you on your process of how you go through kind of navigating your feelings in a situation so for an example, you talked about you do some introspective work to see like what's going on. And I think that that's so important. And I tell the couples I work with all the time, like you have to go from a place where you're asking, what does my partner or spouse need to do differently to mm-hmm. fix this? And more so go into a place where you're like, what can I do differently in this situation to either make it better or not escalate it? So you definitely want to start in that place of recognizing, all right, these are the true feelings that I have. So I know you talked about like anger Mm -hmm. is the first thing that kind of comes out. And then when you sit back and you think about it a little bit, you're like, all right, I was feeling a little hurt. (laughs) And you start to get to the root of what those real feelings are. And once you do that, you can kind of sit with it and be like, all right, I understand this is why I felt the way that I felt. And sometimes we go through experiences in life, whether like in childhood or as an adult, that kind of create certain moments and turn them into like trigger points where like maybe if it happened to somebody else, it wouldn't have triggered them. But for you, it triggered you because of X, Y and Z. So being able to sit with that and recognize that and then saying, all right, let me go on over and take a look at my spouse and my partner. What was going on with you now? Yeah. And talk about that. I know what was going on for me and I can bring that to the table in the discussion. 
why don't you tell me what was going on for you so that I can know what I need to do differently to not trigger you in that way or to make the situation better. So definitely applaud your approach for how you kind of navigate that process. And I think it's important for other couples to kind of do that for themselves as well. Or even if you're not in a relationship and you might be single and you're like, well, why does this keep happening? It must be them. It might be partly them, <laughs> but you need to take a look at like what's going on for you. What are yeah. you doing that you keep attracting these people that you don't want in your life? So absolutely. I, I, now I would let me let me put on my pastoral hat real quick. You put your <laughs> counselor hat. Let me put my pastoral my pastoral hat. So and and I would say this is this is not for extreme situations. If you are in an abusive relationship, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, verbal, whatever you want to call it, if you are in a ver an, an abusive environment, this does not include that. Or an extreme environment, this does not include that. But if you are in love with someone, you recognize that this person is amazing. Usually, you know, they're they're typically a great individual and they have a moment that offends you or you know that that deeply hurts you right extend the same amount of grace and peace within your own time within your own time don't rush this process absolutely extend the same amount of grace and and and, and mercy that you would want if you said or did something that was out of character that you didn't necessarily mean, but you might have reacted. And it, it depends on the individual. If they have a track history of doing this, this is a pattern, this is what they have been doing, then you have to recognize that you have to exit out of that situation, right? right. But if there's a moment somebody says something like offensive, and this is not typically what they do, like, you know what? What's going on with you? Right. What's, what's happening? Or, you know, that, uh, as a husband, there's some days when my mom, my mom, my wife is <laughs> cranky <laughs> and, you know, she might say something ridiculous. And sometimes I gotta look at her and be like, <laughs> what, all right, what, what's going on? Let's talk. You know, can I get you something to eat? Can I, can I, you know, what can I do for you? I can't take, I can't be offended by everything because I got to recognize that I'm dealing with a human because there are moments where I say or do something out of the deepness of that emotion in that moment, and I I recognize, oh, I'm, I'm tripping. I, I hope that the other person recognizes, like, yeah, he's he's having a moment, and they can allow me to have that moment. So um, I want to create that 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 graceful, forgiving environment as well as it pertains to my spouse when they've done something that offends me. Right, right. So the act of forgiveness, I think like when we think about defining it, you kind of highlighted it like it's a slow process, like you mm -hmm. have to take your time. And I like to think of it as matters of the heart. They take time. Like that's not something that you can kind of rush through. So yeah. it brings me to what is your take on the concept of forgive and forget? <laughs> <laughs> we got the Miguel side and we got the Pastor side. <laughs> the Miguel side, I don't forget nothing. Like I look, I remember moments like let me put it like this. My memory is horrible at this age. You know, I <laughs> I can't remember where I put my like I have to be regimented so that I can remember where I put my keys. Yeah. Right. Or 
or that's it. My whole day is thrown off. Can't find my wallet. I'm turning everything <laughs> upside down. Right. But, but there were moments in my life where I remember exactly where I was when I was offended. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and I've gone through, you know, moments where I relive this emotion or relive these events over and over again. And what I've learned as I've gotten older, as I, you know, have brilliant friends like you who are in, you know, these these wonderful fields that kind of kind of explain what's going on in the mind, is that that replay may not always be accurate to what actually happened. Right. And so the forgetting part is my way of telling my mind, which is the record keeper of all my emotions, that maybe you need to let this one go. Mm-hmm. Possibility that how you remembered the event is different from what happened because your emotions, when things happen, I think the greatest way to explain it is, you know, if if there were a hundred people on the scene of a crime, you might get a hundred different stories of what happened and how they happened. Right. Absolutely. My and, mom likes to say, she likes to say, um, what is it? There are three sides to every story. Yeah. Your side, the other person's side, and the truth the or truth. the right side. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And you you you're if you're forever stuck on your side, you may never get to the truth. And the truth sometimes exists in the middle of what I'm saying happened and what you're saying happened. Right? Because right? my recollection of the rec- my recollection of the events is filtered through my my view and through my emotions. Right. And yeah. so when it comes to this forgiving and forgetting I can't literally forget, but what I can do is let go of that emotional attachment to that event. I can say to myself, okay, it's time to begin that process of just letting this one go. And what I tend to do is I'd rather be wrong when it comes to someone doing me wrong than for me to be right because it's harder to forgive when I know that I'm 100% right. (laughs) Yeah. Look, man. (laughs) Ooh, that competitive spirit comes up in me. I like, I, you know, I start getting prideful and arrogant and and I have to tell myself like, okay, let me be wrong in this situation so that I can remain humble and I can see things for what it is or else I'm going to be on my high horse for quite a long time. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think about like for me, when I think about the idea of forgetting, it's kind of similar to what you're saying. Like, it's not that you keep harping on the situation where every time you see the person, you're bringing it up. Well, oh, I remember you did so and so to me and Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. And this is why I'm doing X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. But it's more so of you're starting to put up those protections or those boundaries around yourself emotionally and Mm -hmm. mentally for like what you can handle. So like, if we go back to this idea of toxic traits in a person and we think about how do you navigate those relationships, like the forgetting piece you can't do because you need to be able to recognize, all right, I need to handle things differently in this relationship. So I'm not put in the same type of predicament again, where I'm left feeling abandoned or hurt or rejected or whatever the case may be, whatever yeah. those things that you realize are not okay for you. So I think that that's where the forgetting piece comes in. It's not that like, I'm going to harp on this every time I see you, but mm-hmm. I need to now move differently because you've shown me exactly who you are. 
And yeah. And, and, you know, I learned this from my wife. My, like, say, well, uh, my wife, she has an impeccable way of dealing with toxic people. <laughs> she is a manager of toxic people. Now, we're going to need to hire a new job now. <laughs> that's, that's, too, that's too much, you know? <laughs> Look. Like, you know, we come from a different environment than my wife. You know, we come from kind of a survival perspective, knowing who's your ally, who's your enemy, and that can change moment by moment. Oh. And so you have to like, for me, I, I always got to know who's in the room. I'm looking for exits. I'm looking for, you know what I mean? The, I'm like, there's still moments, even though I live a suburban life now, there's still <laughs> that, 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 that like system in my mind. Absolutely. So toxic people to me, um, especially if they show any signs of disloyalty, I tend to stay away because that's a mode of survival for me. Like knowing who's loyal is important. It's okay. imperative. My wife sees people for who they are, even before they confess. And she works around their toxicity. Yeah, I'm I'm, not, I'm right there with you, Miguel. Like, girl, I'm <laughs> New York, and I know when I first when I first got to Huntsville, mm -hmm. and then we kind of transitioned to up here in the north, back in the northeast. I, I feel like New England is like they're cut from a different cloth than like people. Like yeah, they are. But when I first got to Huntsville, and I remember specifically my first time going to Walmart down there. And somebody came up to me and just started talking. And I'm looking at them like, can I help you? <laughs> like, why are you talking to me right now? It's like that antenna is always up. Yeah, We're always yeah. kind of assessing the situation. Can I trust you? Can I yeah. not? Can I trust you? All right, I'll open up a little bit. If I can't trust you, I'm right there with you. Turn it back down. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I realized that, it, you know, it, it helped us survive in one space, um, but it doesn't always help us in other areas where, like, when you're working with people, which we have to do, and you're, you're, you're a counselor. I mean, that's, that's your work, right? right. Um, you can't shut everybody out or you're going to end up being on an island. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's like, it's literally having to maneuver through a sea of toxicity because we all have toxic traits. We all have, like I said, non-performing habits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. We, yeah. we really do. And so I, I'm having to adopt a little bit more of my wife's tendency, especially as a pastor, you don't get to choose your congregation. You don't get to choose, you know, who you inherit and the problems you inherit and you can't hit a reset button. So you have to work with what you got. Right. And it's difficult for me because I don't fake it. I, I have a hard time. There's some people I just can't, like I said, I just can't mess with. And I, I just avoid a little bit. But you can't do that in a church setting because that ends up creating more problems than it, than, than it, than it helps. And I've, I've known pastors who have done this, and it creates a chasm in the church. Mm. Right? You can't have an inner sanctum of friends amongst the congregation. That's not that's not healthy. Right, right. So I now have to see the best in this person. I see that I've seen the worst. I have to work now to see the best because we have a goal as a church. Our goal is to help and be impactful in our community. Our goal is to rehabilitate people similar to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. our 
goal is to make sure that people have a connection with God, that we are we are aiding and and creating a community. Uh, you know, whether it's it's a, well now we don't have a physical space, but um, having a safe space for people to experience God, right? That can't happen when you have certain toxic traits. So you got to like learn to work around. I'm I'm learning. I'm not saying that I'm there, but I've at least embraced yeah. that you, you're going to have some level of problem solving on your hand when you're dealing with people. Right. Absolutely. So what do you think is the first step in this process of healing in order to forgive? And I know that there is someone, you know, who's listening at this time who wants to know the answer to this question, because like we talked about, the emotions that we feel when we've been hurt can be so big, depending mm-hmm. on the person, the circumstances, you know, when you've got the pain, the anger, the disappointment, the shock, and even sometimes resentment, it may be hard to figure out where to begin in this process. So yeah. what's your take on that question? The first step is figuring out what you're, for- what you're forgiving or healing from. It might not be the actual thing that needs to be, you know, that you actually need to heal from. So, for example, let's take an alcoholic, right? You're saying, man, I had a horrible episode. Maybe I shouldn't drink tequila anymore. Well, that's not the thing. That's That that might have given you an interesting reaction. Mm-hmm. You might have had a, a moment that you regret from drinking tequila excessively. But the thing that you need to heal from or to begin that process is really your alcoholism, mm-hmm. right? So for some people, they may have experienced toxic relationship after toxic relationship. What is it about me? And this is, you know, this is me personally thinking, and I can't speak for every individual situation. But for me as a male, the first question I'm asking is, is there something about me that's attracted to this toxic trait? Mm-hmm. How do I begin that healing process, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's that would be the first step of healing in order to be able to forgive myself. You know, which is a huge thing because we do carry that baggage. You you mentioned earlier, you know, clients come in and they're trying to be fixed, and it's not necessarily we need to be fixed. We just need to deal with this habit or deal with this trait. How do I forgive myself for allowing myself to enter into this 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 habit or into into this relationship again or to do this thing I told myself I'll never do? How do I forgive myself so that I can embrace healing? And we we do this in church too. Like how do I have begin this process of repentance? That's what we call it, which is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I get back to where I should be or or get to where I should have been? And it begins with saying, man, the, the core of my problem is X, Y, and Z. It is not necessarily how I felt or the lingering uh, emotions. It's It might be something deeper. So assessing what it is from what, you know, and, and, and I would say you have to live life in community. And this is my, you know, me putting on my pastoral hat again. <laughs> you have to live life in community because... There is a perspective that, you know, uh, that you might bring, Hazel, that I won't be able to see. You're, you're, on, you're on cloud nine. You know, you're not really, you're not seeing, you know, your foolishness. Um, so you need to find that community of people who love you, who, who are there for you, who are supporters, who are your cheerleaders, but also who are your truth tellers. 
And you're going to now help me in my process of healing because we're in community. Mm-hmm. When you're in a relationship, you don't get to see yourself. You don't see your silliness. You don't to help you along that way to identify your strengths and to help you along with your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is a part of also your your healing process. You can't just do it. Well, I wouldn't advise doing it all alone. Find your community, whether whether that's one or two, or you know. 10 to 12 or 20, 30, whatever it is, that community number is, mm-hmm. that support system, I would say you you got to do that in, in, a, in a safe environment. Yeah. And sometimes for some people, that process might start out alone during that introspection phase where like you're looking at, all right, what's the trauma? And trauma could be different things for different people. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be to the extent of I've been in an abusive relationship but it could be like a natural disaster. I know something that always comes to my mind, like the other day we were taking my mom back to New York and we saw, we were driving back um, home and I saw a helicopter or a plane, I don't even know what it was, but it, what I felt like was flying too low. Mm. And my mind immediately went back to 9-11 oh, and just yeah. all of those feelings and thoughts and all of that just came flooding back in. And yeah. in that moment, I had to kind of talk myself through it like, all right, Hazel, <laughs> it's uh, it's a plane. They're allowed to fly. <laughs> Maybe they have a destination that they're going through. But I had to yeah. kind of work through that in that moment for myself and not allow it to become bigger than what I needed it to be. And once I was able to kind of do that introspection and kind of make the connections between the feelings I was having in that moment and the experiences that I've had in the past, I was able to say, all right, now I can move past this. Now I can share this anxiety that I'm experiencing right now with my husband and kind of say, well, yeah, I'm feeling nervous because, you know, X, Y, and Z happened and I grew up in New York and blah, 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 you know? So I think that that part of kind of having that moment to yourself to kind of be in the feelings your cheerleaders, people that are not going to judge you or not people that are going to sit there, take all your information and then go gossip uh, mm-hmm. you know, about it, or talk uh, about you to other people. But, mm-hmm. you know, really making sure that you have that support system, that that close knit group yeah. of friends that can support you through that process of healing. Yeah. yeah. Acknowledge them. And then, like you said, reaching out to that community of supporters. I would warn you, <laughs> be careful coming to D.C., Oh, well, <laughs> say no more. <laughs> Be careful coming to D.C. because they, you know, the helicopters fly really close. And I know, and I've been here for three, four years now. I haven't gotten used to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. a fair warning. If you ever come in the area, just a fair warning. Yeah, it'll probably have me all sorts of like anxious and freaking out. And yeah, thank you for that warning. If we ever <laughs> decide to come there, maybe now that we have Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Buddy Biden in office, we might actually want to take a trip to DC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, once once Corona is is over, or maybe you know, it's probably probably the best time would be now. The African American Museum. Is amazing. Just oh, yeah. bring, bring your your best shoes if you haven't gone. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. All right. So let's see. How does one forgive and navigate knowing where to place someone in their life that you've deemed unhealthy for your emotional well-being? I know that was kind of like a loaded question. <laughs> There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. There's definitely a lot. Um, how do you forgive and navigate? knowing where to place someone in their life. 
Okay. You know, I guess the greater context of what we're talking about is relationship, dating relationships. But I think this makes more sense as it relates to like family. Because you can't, I mean, you can, but for a lot of us, we can't divorce ourselves from our family. It's it's tough because, man, there are moments where they're really loving, but then there's also moments where our families can be triggering. (laughs) Look, I'm right there with you from, like, personal experience, but also just from the people I work with, you just... They're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do with my mom or I don't know yeah. what to do with this cousin. Yeah, yeah. And and there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of trauma there. And I, I would say, man, there. I don't know if there's a blanket way on how to deal with things. I think it's case by case and you have to assess yourself. Are you okay enough to be in this environment? One of the things that I've learned recently is about family roles. Like we all have a a script, if you will, that we we act out in our family dynamic. Outside of our family, you know, you're Hazel. But when you're with your family, you're whatever, you know, kid uh, nickname or pet name that they have assigned to you and, you. and you automatically go into this role. And I've seen it with my wife. I've seen it with myself. We are our, you know, individual self outside of our families. But once we're back in that family environment, we fall back in line mm-hmm. with, with, whatever role that was assigned to us right so you always have the protector in in the family or you know in in the black family you have the master chef which is your mom or your aunt or your grandma you know or you have that dad or uncle that's forever working never sitting down he's always finding something to fix he's always out on the road doing something for somebody um and then you have the organizer you have the vocalist you have that you know, that person that's, that's the agitator of the family. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. They're a little bit argumentative. They can start trouble. They can, you know, or they'll fight for you, whatever the case may be. We have all kinds of family roles and they may not always be healthy for the, the stage of life that we're in. And it's tough to renegotiate those roles when you weren't a part of the negotiations in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. So it's embracing and realizing, okay, when I'm here, this is what my family needs for me. But it's also recognizing this is what I can offer. That's it right there. That is, is so important. Yeah. This is all I can do for right now. I, I cannot drop everything for my family, you know, at the moment. And I, or I, I'm not emotionally available right now. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. what I can do. Mm-hmm. Recognizing all these things. Yes, yes, yes. I understand you need me, but look, this is what I can do. Right, right. You and you know. said something important too. You said like, you're not the one who created the roles mm-hmm. that we each kind of fill, mm-hmm. but you do have the power to renegotiate those, those yeah. roles. You can say, all right, I know I've been the protector all these years, but that's not really sitting right with me anymore. This is now the role I want to take on. I no longer want to be Miguel the protector. I now want to be Miguel the relaxed one. And this is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to be. Yeah. And just know that you're also introducing a level of chaos when you start renegotiating. Yep. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> every, you might get some pushback and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but it, you're recognizing that you you have grown like you you know you hopefully you have developed into a, a different person and you're praying that you can help your family along that process of accessing that that's no longer you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and, yeah yeah so that's 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 my process and maybe I'll add more or take away some yeah <laughs> No, I think I think it's really important about the renegotiating and like the boundaries. Like boundaries are so important in relationships, whether you're dating, whether it's with family, if you're married, being able to say like, this is my line, you can come this far and no further. And I love to say that with like my family, with like clients. One thing, this is an analogy that my supervisor when I was in grad school used with me and I have just taken it and applied it to every aspect of my life because it was it was in that moment that I had the aha like oh my gosh this makes so much more sense and I felt empowered but it's like the analogy of my life is my club I get to choose the the membership level that each person has in my life so mm. like a parent they might have a lifetime membership that means they have all access to you of course within yeah yeah they have access to you. They share in special moments. You invite them. They're one of the first people that gets to hear about good news. All right. Something you might also put a sibling in that category. Something might happen where you're like, hey, there has been a succession of events that's happened that's kind of put me in a place where I'm starting to question the membership level that you have. Maybe I need to put you on like a biannual where every two years I need to kind of check in and see like, are you respecting the boundaries that I've put in place in this relationship? Mm-hmm. If you are, all right, I'll give you like maybe like a year to go. And if I see that you're doing all right, I might bump you back up to that <laughs> to that level that you were initially in. I feel like that empowers you as a person to recognize like, yeah, although this was the way we did it in our family, I can still do it differently and still be a part of this family and everyone come to like love and respect who I am in this new role that I've decided to take on. Like it doesn't have to be the way that it's always been. So I think like when people are able to have that power and recognize like, even if they're a parent, a sister, your spouse, and you may not necessarily go to the option of I'm going to divorce you, but you can say, hey, these are the expectations I have for this relationship these are the boundaries I'm putting. You hurt me when you did X, Y, and Z. And I don't like that. This is what I would like to see, you know, happen differently. All right. Now we can see where we kind of go from there. So that's when I think about like where to place people that you deem unhealthy, you Mm kind of start putting those parameters and boundaries in place to protect yourself because that's important. You you said something that really uh, resonated with me. I talked about expectations. Uh, specific specifically within a marriage like but when we enter into a next it's like well why have you changed well we're in a different situation now mm-hmm. you know and and having that audit having that 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 biannual if you will to, to <laughs> check in and say man where are we standing on this one i think that's that's good i'm gonna have to adopt that i appreciate yeah. that yeah. yeah my life is my club i get to decide what level of membership you have I like yeah that. Definitely. Your expectations of your spouse when you're dating is different and will grow as you remain married. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you're a mother of two, right? Yeah. You have different expectations from your husband than when you were just dating. Yeah. Like, okay, buy me some flowers, make me feel special, turns into, 
can you load the dishwasher because I'm exhausted? <laughs> if you can do that, I will feel like the most luckiest woman in the world. <laughs> I guess the last question we have, or I guess more so like a request of you, are what are two tips that you can provide either from your personal experiences or your time as a pastor to our listeners who are on their journey to healing? Find a counselor. Yes. <laughs> hands down uh, hands down so i'll share uh, after i guess my last girlfriend and me and my wife have been together since like man forever so after my last girlfriend maybe a year after no no so we broke up in january me uh my my wife and i started talking around june july of that same year in between that gap me and my ex-girlfriend at that time like it was a weird thing where things were coming out where I realized like my trust was broken. I realized that maybe I put too much energy in this relationship and, and it just wasn't reciprocated. And I was hurt. I was angry. And, you know, things cooled off. Me and Sable started talking. So that was a pass. But the following semester, of course, we went to college together. That's the following semester. We ended up like in a weird argument and I, and all these emotions started coming up and that that uh, after we broke up let me just say this part where it, it kind of bled into the other there were like a few weeks where i couldn't get out of bed and i didn't know why mm. I, I didn't know what was going on with me and after a while i'm back to somewhat you know a new version of myself well after we had this blow up that following fall semester I had those same feelings again. And I went to the doctor because I remember, you know, we at this point in time, gas is like three fifty. <laughs> gas is super expensive, and so are those plane tickets. Because our freshman year, we I, at least for me, I flew to New York and back at least once or twice, and I didn't pay a lot of money. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a, a, a ridiculous amount. Now it's just like, yeah, at that point it was just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Four or five hundred dollars, and I'm like, I don't have that money. Yeah, <laughs> we're driving from New York to Alabama, and vice versa. And I remember we were coming back down to Alabama. I slept for maybe twelve hours straight, right? And I'm usually the driver. I'm usually the one that's staying up for the entire seventeen hours. So I knew something was wrong then. And then when I got to Alabama, it was the same thing. Couldn't really get up, didn't have any motivation to go to classes. So I went to the doctor and she was like, I think you're, you're, you have acute depression. And I wish we had better medical professionals on campus because at that moment I should have gone to a counselor. Mm -hmm. Because for the next, I would say eight to 10 years on and off, I would have these moments, not as severe as as that, but I would have these moments of like real low lows and I could not explain it. And I thought that I was broken, which is why I thought, you know, what you said earlier was, was imperative. I thought I was broken only to realize that, that I wasn't necessarily broken. My process was, was short wired or, you know, short circuiting mm -hmm. and it just needed to be completed to help me, you know, co continue on when things go wrong that I'm not you know, breaking down, I'm not shutting down. Mm. I wish in that moment that I sought a counselor. And I know there are a lot of people who 
have gone through that. And because you're not knowledgeable, because maybe you're embarrassed or because you think your health insurance may not cover it, you're not going to seek help. And your your body, and I heard Mike Tyson say this, so I got to quote the, the great Iron Mike. <laughs> He's like, your body's only purpose is to carry your brain. Mm. Every other organ in your body could be replaced, mm-hmm. except for your brain. But we, we pay very little attention to the health and vibrance of our brain. Your your counselor, your therapist, your your social worker, your psychologist, all these people in the mental health space are here to help you and your brain find a healthy spot. So that would be my first advice. Look, find a counselor. The second thing is find a community. Hmm. Find people who believe and see you, not not people who like this version of you. I found people who saw Miguel, who saw the brokenness, mm-hmm. but who saw a lot of the potential. Right, right. So even when I want to give up, like, you know, I found out, <laughs> I found out that, you know, when I have these low moments where I'm like, man, life is just not working out like I wanted to, my wife would hit up one of my close friends like call your boy mm-hmm. i get a random call and i'm thinking oh okay you're just thinking about me not knowing that i have a, a community that sees me in my low moments right right and they, they have a battle plan for me and that i was not a part of you yeah. know and, and i just found out about this like last month he's like you thought i was just kidding you up randomly <laughs> <laughs> i kind of thought i was special yeah. <laughs> yeah. y'all set me up but i thank you yeah <laughs> I appreciate it because in those low moments, I'm more, I'm less likely to not reach out. I'm less likely to, to look for help. I, 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 I'm not in a, a state of mind to do the right rational thing. And right. so my community has to step in. Hopefully, you know, it depends on the person, depends on, on how you handle low moments. My, my community steps in when I just, I don't have it. I just don't have it. So, so get a counselor. Even if you don't think things are broken, just just have somebody to talk to, get a community. And I know we only asked for two. I'm going to throw this one in. Get a journal. Oh, a journal. Yes. Record your thoughts. Record your ideas. Record the things that you're grateful for, the things that you're, you're, you're still waiting on. And I'm a pastor, so I got to say the things you're still praying on, still believing in. Record that because, man, thoughts are powerful and they need to be recorded. And in fact... Somebody said, I, I can't remember the quote, but the pen is mightier than the brain. Mm. There are a lot of businesses. There are a lot of, of, of brilliant ideas that were lost because they weren't written down. Mm-hmm. You know, your the ink will outlast that moment, that euphoric moment where you figured you, you thought you figured something out. You think yeah. you're the next Steve Jobs. You yeah. got this brilliant <laughs> idea, <laughs> whatever it is. The ink will outlast that moment. Right, right. So put it down on paper, whether it's digital or physical. And so that, that would be my recommendations. So we got find a therapist, yeah. find your community, and use them. Don't yes. just find them. Use them as well. Use them, absolutely. And get a journal. And I just want to highlight this. Um, and, you know, this is a much larger issue. Mm-hmm. And that can be a topic of conversation that we maybe cover in the future. But, like, I think about the idea of 
finding a therapist and talking to someone. Like I remember when I was, I think it was like my first year in college and I was like, oh yeah, I want to study psychology. Like the first thing my Bayesian uncle said was, oh, you're studying to be a shrink. <laughs> and you just think <laughs> about all like the negative connotations that come yeah, yeah. with that and being in this field. But also when you think about the other side, it's like, as a Christian, I'll just pray. Mm-hmm. Everything will work out if you just pray. But mm-hmm. I mean, when we look at the Bible, it says faith without works is dead. dead. So, <laughs> you can pray, but you also need to get up and work by going to see a therapist and a counselor. And I think that's something that we need to normalize more in the church that like Absolutely. we also need to pay attention to our physical health and making sure that we're taking care of our bodies, the temples. But I mean, the brain is a part of our body as well, like you said. So we need to give just as much attention, time and effort into making sure that our brain is healthy and that our emotions and our thoughts and stuff like that are healthy. So definitely take those tips. We have get a counselor. And if you guys are looking for one of listeners, you can go to psychology today. They have a um, directory. You can just put in your zip code. You find a counselor. You got psychology today. If you are a person of color and you're looking for a therapist, therapy for black girls, they also have a directory or you can go through your insurance provider. If you have insurance, you can call them up and uh, access speak to their behavioral health line and you can find you can get connected with a therapist that's covered by your insurance that way too so definitely some good takeaways appreciate us being able to reconnect today i know it's been such a long time yeah (laughs) but i think that this was a good conversation that we were able to have you know we talked about healing and forgiveness and recognizing that it's a process and there may be times where you feel like we've got it. And there are other times where you feel like you don't have it. And you really get knocked down by the experience that you've been in. Being patient with yourself and recognizing that the matters of your of your heart, of the heart, takes time. You know, we got to do that. we got to be able to see that. We're all on our own journey to healing from the different experiences that we've been through in life. So you need to worry more about you and where you're at and what you need to do and less about the people around you. So, you know, with that being said, I definitely want to thank you, Miguel, for stopping by with us. And I know in the beginning of the segment, you mentioned that you're like starting your own business. So I just kind of wanted to provide you the opportunity to highlight that. And if people are looking for like a new church home or just a place to have some um, upliftment or to find a new community, if you could just tell us a little bit about your church and how they can connect. Okay, not a problem. So um, you can look us up. Best way I would say to, to look us up at the moment would be on Facebook. Beacon Light Seven Day Adventist Church in Maryland. There is another Beacon Light, so just just be aware of that. Now our worship services are on Zoom. We we're not live streaming, and what we have realized is it, it gives people. And Hazel has been on before. Uh, it gives an intimate feel. Like people, you know, you can have, if you've been to church, you know that there's some quirks about church. And so we've kept our services in Zoom. So if you want that information, go check us out on Facebook. Now, what I'm doing in terms of real estate is I recognize it's a small population within most states, if you will, something like 5%, 5 to 10% of people who their homes or their situation does not fit the, the the standard way of selling a home, you know. So let's say, for example, Hazel, uh, you're from California, your parents, or you're living in California, your parents live in North Carolina, and uh, your mom gets sick, you can't take up and go back to, to North Carolina 
and pay her mortgage and make sure that this is done. And so people like me will step in, recognize the need. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get your mom into a nursing home or a living facility that's going to take care of her. Well, let's also sell this property, right? Mm -hmm. Either I'll personally buy it myself or I'll find people on, you know, in my network who can pay cash for that. So you're not paying for realtor fees. You're not paying for any repairs. Typically speaking, in order for a house to go on the market or to qualify for a, a, a traditional loan, it has to meet certain standards, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's abandoned for a long time or they haven't had repairs done, it, it won't get to the market. And so only a fraction of people would be able to actually purchase it. And the only way you could do it would be through cash. Mm-hmm. So. I help facilitate that. Either I'm adding it to my portfolio or someone in my network who who specializes in this particular area or they have a, a, a desire for this particular home, mm-hmm. I'll help, you know, bring them to the transaction to make sure that everyone is taken care of. So that's the business that I'm in and I'm hoping to grow it within this next 2021 year or to get it launched in 2021. Awesome. I can help as many people as possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Once you get that up and running, feel free to uh, send information to me so I can highlight you know, like my Instagram page and you know support you. another black business. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. Once again, to the first timers and my regular listeners, thanks for tuning in. If you or someone you know is looking to take that next step in having a better understanding about the tools needed on your journey to healing be sure to check out my website at www.itsapparentlytime.com. And that's I-T-S-A-P-A-R-E-N-T-L-Y-T-I-M-E. You can go there to see more information about the services I provide. Thanks for listening in, and I hope that you'll stop by again to hang out with this melanin queen, keeping it real.